0: Thank you for choosing to listen to today's message by Reverend Dr. David Entry. We know you will be blessed as you seek and serve God. We believe that this message will stir up a desire for more of God, even as you listen. Be blessed. Last Sunday evening, I spoke about the true worshipper and I want to pick it up. Today being um, Easter, Holy Week, Thursday, the night before um, Easter Friday. I would like to continue and pick it up on The subject of the true worshiper, the true worship, what is acceptable worship before God? I asked the other time I said that um, worship is so important, worship must be a priority, and I spoke about how worship is central. All right, so when you read the Old Testament, you realize how central or how dominant worshipping god was in the old testament i spoke about how the um when god called them out of egypt the law worship was the first feature that came in a decalogue, um, Exodus chapter 20. Worship was the first feature. And when he came to, he asked them to build a tabernacle, even in the, their settlement, how tribes were arranged, they arranged around the tabernacle so the tabernacle can be the center because worship was key. In fact, God told Moses, tell Pharaoh, do let my people go so they can worship me. All right, so they were delivered, they were released to worship. Worship was so central in the appointment of their offices, Soldiers or men of war, um, uh, Levites and priests, men of war, 20 years and above, Levites, 25 years and above, priests, because worship was so key to God, priests must require a certain level of maturity, 30 years and above. So, and then when they were making the anointing oil for God is had to give specific instructions for it to be set apart that for the worship of god the tabernacle so worship was so central with how god dealt with his people to the with his people to the extent that in the old testament the people were blessed when they worshipped god they and then they were punished when they didn't worship god so when you study the the history of god's people you will notice that in fact the history of redemption or redemptive history is about worship how people worship god and god bless them when david was dedicating the temple in i think first chronicles 29 david spoke about how you have blessed us and they dedicated the temple Solomon was installed and i mean things were going well and then when you read Act chapter 7 verse 41, it talks about when they didn't worship God. Acts chapter, let me read it. Acts 7 41 talks about, <clears throat> thank you, Jesus. It says that, um, and they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to idol, idol, it's to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. And when you read down verse 43, C says that, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon because of their false worship. God said, I'm going to carry you away with beyond Babylon. And in Romans chapter 1, Bible says in verse 25, and they worshipped, they worshiped the creature instead of the creator. And made idols. Bible says that they formed Romans chapter 1, verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for. The lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26 said, for this reason, the reason of bad worship, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions because there are things they did which God didn't react very strongly. But when they undermined true worship or they, they entered into false worship, God gave them up. So worship is so central in the scriptures, central in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, which I'll talk about a bit more today, is lifestyle worship, which was dominated it dominated every aspect of the Christian life which was modeled in the New Testament. All right, so the New Testament Christianity is actually is a, an expression of worship to God through lifestyle. And What is what I found interesting is even in eternity, when you read Revelations, Revelation Is dominated by scenes of worship. In eternity, is we are going to have be worshiping. So, Revelation chapter four, Revelation chapter five, Revelation chapter eleven, Revelation chapter fifteen, Revelation chapter nineteen, Revelation chapter twenty-two. When you read all these texts I've I've mentioned, Revelation chapter four, Revelation of five, Revelation chapter eleven, Revelation chapter fifteen, Revelation chapter nineteen, Revelation chapter twenty-two, it is you can tell worship has worship dominates in heaven, or in. Our life after here. So worship is so central and is so key. And so we can't afford to marginalize worship if we have to walk with God genuinely. So I want to read John, um, John chapter 4. I want to take a bit longer. Take it from verse 5. Uh, there's a blessing in the reading of scripture. So I just want you to adjust. If you have your Bibles with you, you can also join me in the reading of this scripture. John chapter 4 verse 5. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore, being weary from the from his journey, sat sat thus by the well. It was about the ninth the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Water. Jesus said to her, "Give me to drink." For his disciples have gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it, is it that you, being Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. I'll pause and just throw a bit of light, historic, um, speak about the history behind this. Now, The United Kingdom, which is both northern and southern kingdom of Israel, the whole of Israel, during the the time of David they had the United Kingdom and um, Solomon presided or ruled over the United Kingdom. But after his his death, it became a divided kingdom. We had the northern kingdom, which is Israel, and the southern parts became Judah, which is made up of um, Bethlehem and Oh, sorry, Benjamin, the tribe of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin. So all the 10 tribes were in the north. So it's called the, the northern tribe and that became Israel. And because of their lack of worship, they, they had bad kings who led them into apostasy so, or into not worshiping God. So they eventually went into slavery because when, when they didn't worship God in Israel, God punished them. So they ended up in slavery and they went into extinction and never was able to get, come back. But when they went, when they were taken captive by Syria, they took the, the, those who took them captivities took the best of the people in the land. Practically all the best. If you can do something, if you are good, you have something. They took the best and they left the ones that really were not that so agile, that's so good, that's so strong, or that's so unique. They left there and took all the best away. So they left just a few people who were really not good enough. And the land was bare. So foreigners, Gentiles, eventually moved in and settled there and lived with the people there, intermarried and over some generations. They now be, thus became the the Samaritans. So there were no more original Jews, but there were Jews who had been left, and they actually now worshiping or following false gods, different gods, idols, and married all kinds of Gentiles. So even though some of them, uh, even though they had Jewish blood, they were it was mixed race. So the Samaritans were mixed race. And after some time, Judah, Judah himself, or the southern tribe, which is Judah, they went into apostasy. They didn't worship God, and so they were also captured. went into slavery. And then years later, towards the end of the Old Testament, um, Ezra and Nehemiah came to rebuild the wall and build their temple and rebuild the wall. They reconvened. But northern Israel, Israel never came back, but Judah, the Jews, Judah, where where we got the Jews from, came back and built the temple. But when they came back, the Samaritans wanted to join them in building the wall, building the temple. I said, no, no, no that's where Sambalat and Tobiah come from he said no no you can't be part of what we are doing because you are not true Jews so Samaritans wanted to wanted acceptance with the Jews but they never had acceptance the Jews never accepted the Samaritans so Jews don't have dealings with Samaritans so when it came to worship they also felt we can also worship in Jerusalem you said "No, no 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 you can't worship in Jerusalem just for the Jews we know God but you Samaritans are mixed race and all kinds of so you can't join us so they also went and built their own temple on the mounts, i think mount garazim or something like that they built their own temple so that is the history behind the jews and the samaritans and the jews didn't like the samaritans so much that if they are going to the north real north they had to go round samaria Samaritans, it's named after the city Samaria. So they had to go round Samaria because they don't have to come into contact with the Samaritans. That's how bad. But Jesus was also going to the north. He came to Samaria. He chose to go through Samaria, which Jews didn't do. And he was tired. He sat by the well. And then, so it's the, that's the history behind it, the story behind it. So the woman came to fetch water. And Jesus said, can you give me some water to drink? And the woman said to Jesus, I read it again. I pick it up again from verse 9. The woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you being a Jew, ask me from, uh, ask drink from me, a Samaritan woman? No, for Jews didn't have dealings with Samaritans. you see that? Now, Jesus answered to her and said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who said to you, give me to drink, you would have asked him and he he would have given you living waters. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living waters? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and, and and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will test again. But whoever drinks of the water I shall give him will never test. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal or uh, everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may, I may not taste, nor come here to draw water. She didn't like coming I mean, going there to draw water because of some background, her background, particular background. She was almost like a half-breed whore, half-breed harlot, and everyone knew her. Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus, sorry, Jesus said to her, go and call your husband. And so she asked Jesus for that. Give me this water so I don't have to come back. So, okay, you want my water? Go and call your husband and and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said. I, ha- You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that, you spoke Truly, the one you are living. So that means that living with a person doesn't make him your husband or living with a, a, a person doesn't make him a wife. Living with a person is not the same as living with a married or when you are married. So this woman was living with a man now living with a man and he's not married to the man. She has already had five husbands. I think she was uh she's she had enough. She felt she had enough anyway. So Jesus said, the one you are living with is not your husband. The verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, so the woman changed it to a religious because when she saw this man can read your mind or read your private life and speak about things in your life, she knew that this is a different person. So she said, I perceive you a prophet. If you are a prophet, let's talk about religious things. So it's interesting when she said, I perceive you a prophet. I thought she would have said that, can you, can you, can you help me to get a secure house? Can you help me to get a breakthrough in my life? Can you help me to get something? Can you help me? I I, I want So when she found out she's a prophet, I thought, which nowadays people do, they'll go to prophet to enhance their their natural living. They'll go to men of God. That, That is what makes some aspects of modern days type of Christian approach, or particularly the certain type of charismatic approach, a concern in the sense that it is human-centered. It's built around what people are getting to enhance their natural and their living, their modern-day current living, and sometimes it eludes them of even living for the Uh, times to come, or living for eternity. So, So the more we point people towards what they are getting from God to enhance their material living and life, the more we eclipse the purpose of God and the view of eternity. The early Christians lived with the the view of eternity, with the view of the days ahead, with that view. So it's very important. This woman, when she found out Jesus was a prophet, she dropped everything natural. She wanted water. She forgot about that. Dropped everything material and started talking about, guess what? Guess what? Worship. She said, ha, you're a prophet. Oh, my worship life. Jesus, it's interesting. Jesus didn't go to uh, maybe a religious person. Jesus didn't go and meet a religious person. Jesus didn't go for somebody who may be a teacher in, uh, the, in the scriptures, somebody who was maybe a priest, somebody who was a leader, somebody who was uh, maybe a good person. Jesus went for someone who was almost a half breed whore, prostitute, someone who no one will even get interested in talking about spiritual or religious things with, but worship with. But Jesus went to her for the purpose of worship. Hallelujah! So that means that it doesn't matter who you are, or your background. Jesus will reach out to you if you are willing, if you have the interest. Jesus will reach out. He actually seeks you because naturally men never seek God. It's God who seeks people. If you give people human beings the uh, the opportunity, they will never see God. It is that, that's why God. Had always seeks us. True Christianity starts with God seeking us. True Christianity starts with God calling you, God reaching out to you. You see, it. and the Bible says that. Um, the woman, this the woman said, Sir, I perceive you a prophet. Our fathers worship. Is see, brought the subject of worship? Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place. Where one ought to worship, even the Jews and the Jerusalem. Our fathers worship in this man, but you Jews are saying Jerusalem is where the worship should be. Jesus, I like this. Jesus said to her, "Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. The hour is coming. What was that hour? That hour Jesus spoke about was the hour of his death, burial, and resurrection. So, is the the time after his resurrection was going to change everything about worship? In the Old Testament, they had a form. They had the shadow, those who walk with God. They had the shadow, which was depicting and pointing to the original. They had the form, which was the figure, which was pointing to the original, which was going to be instituted after the resurrection of Jesus. That is why Christians celebrate Christians, true Christians, or the Bible actually says we should remember Jesus in his death. Not his birth. So real Christianity celebrates more as so as to speak, the death, burial, and resurrection. They preached Christ crucified. They preached Christ resurrected. They never preached the birth of Christ because it is his death and resurrection that gave his human living its endorsement and, and authenticity. Romans 1 4 said, Declared to be the Son of God by power through the resurrection. So it's the resurrection that endorsed him. He said, when Jesus resurrected, he said that you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Through the by the resurrection, he entered into a different level. um, His humanity was introduced into another level in so long as God was concerned. His humanity. That's why we are going to be like him when we see him. Hallelujah. But she said our fathers worship on this mountain and you Jews said jerusalem verse 20 jesus said woman believe me the hour is coming when you, when you will neither on this mountain ah, now that's get i'm getting there i've got just a few minutes the time is coming when you will neither worship on this mountain the mountain of mount in which you are talking about which you are talking about you neither worship on this mountain nor in jerusalem oh So Jesus takes worship out, worship away from a place. Worship, genuine worship, acceptable worship, true worship is no more tied to a place. Hallelujah. It's no more tied to a building. It's no more so that we Christians, we don't wait to arrive at a place in order to worship. Hallelujah. (laughs) So, not Having corporate meetings does not undermine our worship and does cannot temper with our worship if the worship if the worshipper is a true worshipper. Hallelujah! He says that. Watch this. Watch this. Hallelujah! He says that. Um, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So it's neither this mountain or in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter anymore. It's not tied to a place. Neither in this mountain or in Jerusalem, worship the Father. Worship the Father, remember, he said, the Father, hallelujah. Then he says, you, that talking about the Samaritans, you worship, you, 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 you worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. In other words, the, the, the process of God in bringing people into him, uh, uh, redemptive history started with the Jews. So God, in fact, the, God gave them the law, the commandments, and started with them. So it says salvation is of the Jews. And it says you worship what you know not. Right? In twenty, verse 22, you worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. So Jesus, listen to this very carefully, my brothers and sisters. Jesus actually hinges worship on knowledge. Not on feelings because it would have been interesting, or it would have been different if he had said, You worship what you do not know, but we are the worshipers. But he said, We worship what we know, you worship what you do not know. So there is a correlation between what you know and your the quality of your worship. It is not necessarily tied to the place you go, hallelujah. Quality. Acceptable, genuine, truthful worship is not tied to the place you go, but it is enhanced. It is motivated. It is enriched by what you know about the true God. Hallelujah. In Acts, Jesus, I'm getting excited now. In Acts chapter 7, verse 26. Thank you, Jesus. But no, 23. Acts chapter 7, verse 23, Paul, verse 22 says that, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. (laughs) <laughs> the next the, the next statement, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing him, I proclaim to you, the one whom you worship without knowing, the one who you can't have true worship, you will only have shallow worship if you don't know God. And knowing God is not just, is different about, is, sorry, is different from knowing about God. You can know the stories in the Bible. You can even be a theological, you can have PhD in Christian theology or biblical or you can have PhD in theology or biblical knowledge or Bible knowledge. And it doesn't mean you know God. That's the Pharisees. The Pharisees, the Bible says they were, the, they were the teachers of the law. They were the scribes and they come to Jesus with questions. And in fact, Nicodemus came to Jesus. He was a teacher. But I said, You are a teacher, you don't understand these things. So not just knowing the Bible is not the starting place of worship or true worship. Knowing the Bible or reading books, and some people <laughs> some people say, you know, I have to be open-minded. An open-minded person is open to all kinds of things. A house without a country without borders, everybody can come inside. Sometimes there must be boundaries and some things must be shut. Sometimes the attempt to be so-called open-minded ends up leaving a lot, especially when it comes to spiritual things, ends up leaving a lot of people confused. Watch this. You just look at someone or anyone, anybody you meet who said, who you meet who said, I've tried this, I've tried this, I'm studying this, I've studied all the religions. They're always confused. I, I, I want to be open-minded. That is why you are that confused. Are you trying to say we are not supposed to know more? No, what I'm trying to say is we are supposed to know God. How would I know which one is the truth if I don't check her? Do you have the apparatus or do you have what the installation, what it takes to know? You actually get confused because this one's own can, sound, there are bits of this that can sound convincing, the bits of this one that can sound convincing, the bits of this one that can sound convincing. He says that the time is coming and now is when the true worshipper shall worship the father in truth and in spirit. Now he says that you worship what you know not. But we worship what we know. Paul told "The God who you worship without knowing, I want to declare him to you because it can never be true worship if you don't know God. So he says that Jesus, back to what Jesus said, Jesus said in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for the father seeks such to worship him. God is a seeker. God is a seeker. The the reason why Jesus came on earth is for him to come and call worshippers, To come and seek worshipers. So God is a seeker. He comes for you is not necessarily the other way around. So when someone thinks that I am choosing to go for God. No, Bible says in Philippians, it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. It is God, Philippians chapter 2 verse 13, it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You cannot just unilaterally choose to do what can please God. God has to work it in you. I see God working something great in you. I see God working true worship in you. I see God working acceptable worship in you. In John chapter 6 verse 44, the Bible says that no one can come to the Father, can come to me, Except the Father draws him. Except the Father draws him. I pray anyone in your family who, who we have, you have been praying to come and know Christ. I pray that may God the Father draw them in the name of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus said that Father seeks such to worship. Look at verse 24. For God, he said, verse 24 says that God is the Spirit and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. This is so loaded. God is the Spirit. So he, he kept speaking about the father seeks to worship him. You worship the father. So the object, I probably will later on, if I get a chance talk about the object of worship here. But he said, that the father seeks to worship. He says that the time is coming now is when the true worshipers shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. For such speaks seeks the father to worship him. So the point here is that he said, it's not about a place anymore, but it's about a certain type of worship. Through worship, It's always, watch this, let me see, I I, I wrote down a few things I want to say about true worship. Because now, when you come into the New Testament and the Old Testament, the difference is that the Old Testament, they were allowed to worship based on locations. Because the hour hasn't come. But in the New Testament, we the church time, the church folks, our, our worship is not hinged or is not based, is not based on what people or a, a, a place, or a person. When I say a person, a human person. Our worship is not based on a location, or it's not based on idols. We live in a world of idols. People idolize things. If they don't idolize a person, they don't idolize a system, they, they, they actually make idols. And God always ends up invariably punishing idol worship, or punishing false worship. Now watch this. We Christians, Bible says that we worship in spirit and in truth. So in, at this, in this season of lockdown, if you are a true worshiper, it shouldn't affect your worship. Because worship is not just, uh, corporate, corporate praise and corporate fellowship, which is essential. Alright? It is necessary. It's, when you are a genuine Christian and a genuine believer, what happens is that you get, you get so much joy with corporate worship. You, you always look forward for corporate worship. There's something about corporate worship which actually enriches, it enriches the believer. It's, it's, it motivates the believer's private worship. It enriches and enhances and inspire our worship. So corporate worship is important, but in the absence of corporate worship, we have been called for personal worship. Personal and individual, for us to be individually be able to give God an acceptable worship. So as I said the other time, in the New Testament, acceptable worship is not based on a place, but acceptable worship is more. It's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. So in uh, in the last teachings, I spoke about how in uh, Romans chapter 14, verse 18, the way you treat people is uh, is an acceptable worship in the New Testament. An acceptable worship actually is when you anything that a, a Christian does that God brands as righteousness is an is a form of true worship, acceptable worship. So anything a Christian does that God brands or the scriptures endorse as righteousness is an acceptable worship. Actually, um, in an acceptable worship. You know, the worshiper we worship the true God in an acceptable worship. We worship the true God in the form he has presented himself. You know, so when we say in the form, God is a spirit, we worship him as a spirit. We don't worship him as an object. We don't pin worshiping God to an, an object you make, so you have this object there, and so that's God of God. No, God frowns on such worship. And then, number two in acceptable worship we don't just we, 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 we it's not just that we don't worship god or we worship god as the right form he has present given him given himself to us but number 2 we also worship god in the acceptable form he has requested that is so important there are a lot of people who attempt to worship god their way i mentioned it the other time it makes it a, a, not, not a true worship they, for, it's what false worship. when you choose to worship God your own way like Genesis time will not permit me to read it to read it it's amazing street Genesis chapter 4 from verse three to seven God said in the process of time Cain and Abel brought offering to God Cain brought offerings from his farm and his own staff Abel brought offering based on God's prescription. And Cain's worship was rejected and Cain was not happy and he envied his brother or he eyed his brother. And God said, why are you upset? If you've done, if you did what was right, would you, verse seven, would you not be accepted? You know, so true worship brings acceptance. Acceptable worship is based on what God has defined, how God wants us to do. They knew what to do, but the guy didn't know what, didn't do what he knew to do. Cain didn't because it was too much for him. He did what was easy. And so, and the same thing in in Leviticus chapter 10 from verse 1 to 3. Very interesting text. It talks about uh, uh, um, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron. Nadab and Abihu. They offered unto God strange fire. God said, why are you bringing this to me? I've told you, don't worship me this way. God killed them, verse 3. God killed them. In the Numbers chapter 3, verse 4. They died, because why? They offered to God Worship that they think God should need. God doesn't do that. God, true worship is to worship God and offer God the worship He asks, He demands, or the way He said we should worship Him. That is why the uh, true worship is so important. That is why true worship is enhanced by what we know the truth we know about God from the scriptures. The truth we know about God from the scriptures. And thirdly, acceptable worship is based on. Um attitude, takes attitude. So with the right attitude, worshiping God. I spoke about when you accept when you worship the true God with the wrong attitude, you handle things that concern God as though it doesn't matter. You don't worship God with fear. When I say worshiping God, you don't handle the things of God with fear. You don't you don't take God serious. You anything about God? I spoke about Malachi chapter one. He said you are bringing. Your, when you want to give to God, you give what is not honorable. You don't treat anything about God with honor because it's secondary. It's just, it's not, it's not important to you. And that is a bad attitude that is not acceptable to God. I believe that since I gave my life to Christ, I became a Christian. Every, every aspect of my life has been governed by a genuine desire to see God on it. Every aspect of my life, and so that means that true worship actually will affect. True worship is influence, or will affect actually your think, your thoughts, what you think, what you say, and how you act. What you think, what you say, how you act, will all de- is, will all reflect, or is, det- is a go to determine whether you are tr- a, a true worshiper or not. If you are a true worshipper, a truthful and acceptable worship, influence or affect what you think, how you think. The way you are, you no know, one knows what. That's what Jesus said. You can look at a woman lustfully. In the in the law, it is it's written, uh, it said, if you if you if you commit adultery, uh, for, uh, adultery, uh, you have you have sinned. In Matthew chapter five, verse twenty-eight, that was. But he said, I say to you, if you look at a woman to lust, you don't have to even do it. The thought, the way you the way you are watching pornography. And you, he said, you, have, you, have, you don't have to have done it. Once you have accepted it and thought about it, you have, it is different. So true worship takes. In fact, I heard one great man of God said something, bless me so much, about the difference between the, the Old Testament and the New Testament requirements. He said, the Old Testament, the laws were 300, sorry, 613, 613 laws that God gave them. In the New Testament, it's about 1,003 or so. So it's more, the New Testament way of life is higher than the Old Testament way of life because the New Testament way of life takes worship from a place and from external into the spirit and the tr- truth. So now coming back to the point I'm making. True worship, first of all, starts with redemption, starts with being born again, starts with salvation, starts with being justified, starts with being saved, starts with regeneration. Once you are redeemed, you are redeemed to be a worshiper because he said God seeks such. So when God calls you, when you become a Christian, you have become a Christian in order to be a true worshiper and a true worshiper. Or you have become a Christian to give God acceptable worship. And an acceptable worship is a lifestyle. It's not tied to a place. So you are not waiting to go to a place in order to worship or to start worship. In fact, who you are, how you behave, your entire lifestyle is bringing God worship. Now, I wrote something down about worship. Worship. Worship to worship means you are ascribing to God that which you know to be true about Him. To worship is to, so that's why what you know about God is important and it determines your worship. Alright? It's important. But when we talk about dictionary definition of worship, what the definition of, the definition of worship is, actually, worship stems out from a, a word, old word, which is worth Skype. Worth Skype. And worth Skype is worth building or ascribing worth an object or a person. So to worship somebody, it means that to ascribe or to give the person worth, to consider you are worthy, to give honor to somebody. And so to worship God, is it means to give honor. So to, for you to have, to be a true worshiper, that means that you are giving God honor, not just by an activity or through an event, even though those also matter, but fundamentally it is from your heart, in your thoughts, in the way you speak, in the what you do, what you say, what you do, what you think are all governed by your desire to actually see God on it. Alright, so the desire to see God on it all times in any situation you find yourself under any any circumstance wherever you are that that desire that governing desire to see god on it is what is called true worship and it doesn't is not limited to a place It's not defined restricted so you may not even have the chance to be in church but guess what church is already in you hallelujah i say you may not have the chance to be in church but church is in you a few months ago i was preaching in church and i said we don't christians don't go to church we don't go to church Oh, and people were thinking, wow, what do you mean? I say yes. Christians don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. You can't shut a church down. For goodness sake. Hallelujah. Go to China and see. They have, they have been Yes, they are not being allowed to worship but guess what, They are true worshippers everywhere They are true Christians everywhere They are true worshippers, they are worshipping God and so you can't shut down a church, why? because the church is a person and even if you kill the person, there are other people who are already the church and if you kill all of them, you can't kill all of them because Jesus said, I will build my church Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, hallelujah let me calm down, I'm getting very excited, I love the word of God I'll build my church and the gates of of hell cannot prevail against the church. You cannot stop a church. And we don't we don't go to church as it were, you know, we go we, we go for our gatherings, but we are the church. So where that's why in the early uh, the early church in the New Testament church, the first century church, they actually didn't have buildings really when the church started. They didn't have buildings. They would just, wherever they gathered, they go to a synagogue and preach, and then they gathered in homes because they didn't have buildings. Not having a building doesn't mean you can't be a church. Not having a place. Some unbelievers are saying about the church, ha! Now all these churches cannot meet. All this and some even some believers are thinking, oh wow, it's going to affect the church. No 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 no. It may affect some gatherings but it will not affect true worshippers. Hallelujah! It will not affect true worshippers. Lockdown can't affect true worshipper A true worshipper because already see worship I like this worship is goes deeper than singing than corporate gathering. Worship is deeper. There's a songwriter who says that I bring you more than a, when the music face all is stripped away and I simply come longing to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what we have, we are required. There are a lot of people whose worship life is built around music, is built around singing. Singing is important. It's a way of expressing the truth in your heart. That is why in the old, old, olden days, there are songs and their hymns had a lot of ways. They sang their theology. They sang their conviction in God. They sang their belief in God. The deeper you know God, the more when the singing comes. And the singing, for instance, there is a song. I think, what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name. I think by Hillsong. There's a, a part of the song that says that you didn't want a heaven Without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. Uh, that bit blesses me because I have a certain insight about how Jesus brought heaven down so he could, he can take us into heaven. It blesses my, when I hear that bit, it stirs the deep appreciation I have for God for the work of redemption. And it makes me want to even sing it. I hope you are getting what I'm trying to say. And so my depth set it by level of insight and understanding and knowledge of God and who the true God is actually becomes the core and the generator that inspires my worship. Worship cannot be artificially motivated by songs. You can't say, oh, let's play songs. Let's play play some music so that people can worship and, and flow. No, worship is not based on singing. Worship is based on your knowledge of the true God, which is then expressed through your emotion by the singing. And so it's not the emotions that determine your worship. It's what you know about God that determines your worship. Let me say it again. It's not your feelings that determine your worship, the quality of your worship. It's your the quality of your knowledge of the true God that determines your worship. It determines the authenticity. It determines the quality. It determines the depth of your worship. Hallelujah. So you have to seek to know God and then live your entire life to honor this God you are. known, you have. To know, I wrote as I said earlier, I wrote down a few things about worship and I want to uh, bring it to your attention. As I said earlier, on number one, worship is uh, acceptable, worship is it, it begins with redemption. Those who are not born again can't give God acceptable worship. That's another topic for another time. Acceptable worship begins with. Being truly born again. When you are born again, that's when you can live a lifestyle of worship. Hallelujah. Uh, Those who are truly justified. Praise God. Um, Then I also, so number one, that's number one. Number two, it's very important. Worship. We worship the God who is a spirit. I, 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 would, I would have wanted to spend a bit of time of talking about we worship, God, who is the Spirit. But then let, let's see. The third point is that worship is a way of life, and God can be worshipped at all times, at all places, by all who love Him. You can so whether we have meeting, we don't have meeting, you can always worship God in your bedroom, in your restroom, at the restroom, in your kitchen, at the classroom, in the car. On the park, at work, you can always because it's a lifetime. It worship. Hallelujah! I like that. Thank you, Jesus. We are not limited to arriving at a place in order to worship. Number four is true. True worship arises from a heart by anyone from the heart by anyone who truly, uh, who is truly God's redeemed. If God has saved you, then. True worship can arise from your heart. The more, the more, the more truth we know about God, the more informed and enthusiastic our worship becomes. The more truth we know about God, the more informed and enthusiastic our worship becomes. Hallelujah. It is, our worship is based on truth. It is not simply a matter of Singing, as I said, is not simply a matter of corporate praise. It's it's not just saying, but it is living a life that demonstrates that you you honor God, right? So it's not just saying, "Oh God, I love you." Oh God, no, but it's living a life that demonstrates that you respect God. That is true worship. That is acceptable. So it's a lifestyle, It's an ent- entire life. True worship demonstrates that you live a life that brings honor to God. Personal commitment to bringing honor to God at all times, everywhere, in every circumstance, is what true worship is. It's a personal commitment to bring honor to God at all times, wherever you find In your family, at your work, when you are alone, when you feel like doing something, when nobody's there, no one can see you. True worship is a personal commitment to bring honor to God even within that time. That's true worship. That's true worship. In your giving, in your caring for others, in your showing respect to others, especially leaders God has placed over you, in your honoring people like your father, like your mother, like your uh, spiritual leaders, like uh, national leaders, in your honoring them. When you do all those things, it's aspects of your worship, aspects, expressions of acceptable worship in your serving others, in your winning souls. Even now that we are home, sometimes you can talk to people on your phone. Talk to them about Christ. Send them messages about Christ. Share this message. Like this message. Let someone know that they have to, li- They encourage someone to listen to the message. It's my title. This is all accept- and it's aspects of worship. Doing something. When we come back to church, when we gather in church, what you are doing in church, how you are serving in church. These are all expressions of worship. So sometimes people may think that it's just singing praise and worship. That's worship. No, but the usher who is ushering, the one who is behind the sound, controlling the sound, these are all expressions expression of worship. The one who is on the car park, or the one who is doing security duties, these are all expressions of worship. It's a personal commitment to bring honor to God at all times, under any circumstance, anywhere with your life. That is true worship. Hallelujah. And and true worship demands obedience. Moses missed. He, he missed. Obedience to God. That's why he didn't make it to the promised land. Because when you don't give God true worship, you, you, you deny yourself and deprive yourself the best of God. Moses didn't go to the promised land because of disobedience. Israel. Check throughout our scriptures. Because true worship is so important to God. And Jesus said, the time is coming when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Not on, a, uh, not at a particular place, but in spirit and in truth. And if, in conclusion, I want to, I want to draw your attention that God is a spirit. It's a spirit. The thing must emanate, emanate from your heart, deep from your spirit. When he said God is a spirit, that means that, you know, first of all, he said, those who worship, it, worship is not about where. Worship is about who? True worship, genuine worship, acceptable worship is not about where, it's about who? Who? Your focus is God. Not about your feelings, but God. Not about where you find yourself, where you are. You can be left alone in the desert and still be a true worshiper and give God acceptable worship. And I will not want to fail to say this. There is something that it's like um, or one way God has, one prescribed way God has given us, which makes, which can always be uh, a constant form of expressing worship. It is always a constant form. Time will not permit me. Hebrews chapter um, 13, verse 15, 16. It talks about how giving, always giving him the fruit of our labor, which is praise. So praising God is always a ready, ready means to give God worship. You can be by yourself and praise God. And when we come together for corporate praise, it's even amazing. It's so great. Jesus, said, I'll praise you among the brethren in Hebrew chapter two. You know, so praising God, you can be going, you can even be on the sick bed and still be praising God from your heart. You can, you can be going through difficult times just by yourself. And so you wipe your tears and say, God, I still praise you. I still thank you. And you can even, that's when you can even enhance it with some music and just burst into Giving God glory. And when we come together. And so that, that act of giving God praise, uh, giving God honor, giving Him praise and adoration is a time tested, time defying act of worship that cuts across any time. Even when you don't have anybody to serve, any, anything to do, even when you are just bedridden, God forbid you will not be bedridden. You can give God praise. You can give God praise at all times. All right. Because God is a spirit. In those days, in Isaiah, oh, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 23, it's so nice. Can I, I think I'll read that one. Oh, i actually opened it. Praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love the word of God. Oh, how sweet are your words to my taste? Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16 said, I found your word. I did eat them. They were sweet to my taste. Jeremiah 23, 23 says that I, This God talking. I am a God at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off. I am a God at hand, not a God afar off. Wherever. You can't restrict me to a place. I'm a God at hand. Watch this. Look at verse 24. It says that. Can any, can any hide himself in secret place that I shall not see him? Says the Lord. Do, do not I feel heaven and the earth? I feel the whole heaven and the earth. Where can you go and I won't find you? What can you do and hide from God? What can you do? What are you doing? Pastor, your pastor will not see it. Your Christian brother will not see it. Your Christian sister will not see it. The church members will not see it. Others may not know. Your mother may not know. Your father may not know. But God said, I'm a God that I know, a God afar off. What can you do and I will see? But the point is, because God is a spirit, you can't restrict him. When you are not in church, it doesn't mean you can do anything at all. Because when we close from church gathering, Christian gathering, church fellowship. When you go back home, what you are doing defines how much you are worshipping God. Whether your worship is shallow, your worship is superficial, your worship is false, which is hypocritical, or your worship is um, superficial. What you do with your life, even the things you are thinking about, is a reflection of how truthful your worship is. Hallelujah. That's why I said, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Hallelujah. It's amazing to hear God's word. Please let's be a true worshiper. You worship him in spirit and in truth. In those days, they were always worshipping idols, as I said earlier. Idols, idols, you need this to worship, or you need this, you need to be in this place, you need to be in this place. Now everybody's home. I believe it's time for us to see the true worshippers. By the time we are coming back, we are reconvening. By the time the lockdown is over, oh, it's going to be amazing. People are going to come back with fire. Because it their fire has not dwindled. Their fire has not abated. Their fire has not quenched. Because they are true worshippers when we gather, and they are true worshippers when they are alone. They are true worshippers on the telephone prayer line. They are true worshippers reading their Bible, privately, building themselves. They are true worshippers and watching what they are watching. Being mindful of the things they are watching. The comments they are they are, they are in, uh, conversations they are engaging in. The kind of places or the kind of uh uh. uh since they are exposing themselves to the music, being true worshiper, be a true worshiper and give God acceptable worship. As I said, being a true worshiper is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's not about a meeting. It's not about an event. If your worship is based on a place we go, if your worship is based on an event, if your worship is based on a, 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 a meeting, then it's, not, it's a shallow worship, potentially a false worship. It's not true worship. You can't worship God your style. Worship God his way. That is true worship. And you don't worship God only when we meet. You worship God when you're alone. Your worship is when you're alone. The way you think, the way you walk, the way you do your things. Your thoughts, your words, your actions are a reflection of how much. If you give God honor. And you seek for God to be honored and exalted and respected in your thoughts, in your words, in your actions, wherever you find yourself. Under what circumstance you find yourself, then you are, my darling, my brother, you are engaging in pure, acceptable, true worship. I believe I'm talking to a true worshipper. May God help us all to grow in our knowledge of him so we can always be true worshippers under any circumstance. You will not die, but you shall live to declare the works of the Lord. They just shall live by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. They that know their God, they shall be strong and do next. We thank God for using His servant, Reverend Dr. David Entry, to share this awesome word. If this message has blessed you in any way, please spread the word by sharing it and send us an email to amen at charis.org. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube and Twitter for regular updates on what God is doing here at Karis Ministries. Stay blessed.